Let's pray as we come to his word and ask for the Lord to prepare our hearts for what he wants to speak to us today. Lord, this is such a wondrous season and many of us come to it with great anticipation and excitement. But it can also be a very harrowing season, challenging. And some of us are coming to it with a sense of that burden, maybe because of grief, maybe because of anxiety, maybe because of other situations in our lives or relationships. Lord, what we want to come to today is you and your word. And we ask that you would come into us through the preaching of your word so that we would receive your truth, be mindful of your purpose, and allow you to fill us with your hope, your grace, your love, and your life, and guide us to be people who testify to your truth to the world around us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Matt Chandler is a pastor in Flower Mound, Texas. He pastors Village Church. Flower Mound is um, an area in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex in Texas. He's about my age. He's a little bit younger than I. And I happened to see a post from him on Instagram this week. I'm not even a follower of his, not that I wouldn't be, but it was one of those things where you're being given a, a, a kind of an advertisement. Here's somebody that maybe you would want to follow. And so I happened to see his post on Thanksgiving, and I want to share it with you uh, with acknowledgement to him, my gratitude to this pastor that I've never met for sharing of his personal life in a very powerful way. It is Thanksgiving weekend, and it is also the first Sunday in Advent. And today our topic is about light in the night. Will you say that? Light in the night. Sometimes there are dark times in our lives. And what we're desperate for is the light of the Lord. When everybody else is celebrating with lights and joy, if there's something traumatic going on for you... All of the lights and the joy of other people's celebrations can almost feel like an offense or a burden sometimes. But what I really love about what this pastor, Matt Chandler, shares is that in his uh, sharing of a very difficult and challenging circumstance, you sense also the charity and joy of the Lord. Let me read it to you. Thanksgiving is a happy and weighty day for us in the Chandler home. Twelve years ago on Thanksgiving morning, I woke up, fed my daughter Nora her bottle, and had a grand mal seizure in front of my six-year-old Audrey and four-year-old Reed. My wife Lauren called 911. He would have been in his mid to late 30s at this point. I actually think 35. I was rushed to the hospital. After multiple scans, they found a golf ball-sized tumor in my right frontal lobe. Happy Thanksgiving, huh? The tumor turned out to be, I won't even attempt to say it, anaplastic nightmare, <laughs> a cancerous tumor, grade three. The name is too many syllables from yours truly to attempt. And you know that's never a good thing. He continues, I needed a resection of the tumor that means that they would need to go in and do brain surgery. And following that, 
I would need radiation. Followed by 18 months of high-dose chemotherapy. My prognosis, even with all of that, the surgery in the brain, followed by radiation, and then a year and a half of intense chemotherapy, even with all of that, the prognosis was two to three years for a 35-year-old man with young kids. I post this today, 12 years later, to remember. But I also want to post it because this is a painful day for some of you. I said recently in a sermon, Pastor Matt continues, that life is full of seasons, and not one season gets to define you, but all your seasons will shape you. I'm sorry if this year giving thanks feels impossible. If you look around and all you see is loss or have a gnawing emptiness that feels like you won't ever get free from, we have been there. The thing about seasons is they do eventually change. The winter might be longer than we feel we can bear, but spring is coming. You can take joy today in the reality that you have not been forgotten. You have not been abandoned. You are not under wrath but rather mercy. Take joy in that reality. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Today doesn't need to be happy. In fact, it might be full of lament. Joy transcends our circumstances, though. It's rooted in what is true about God and what he says about us. On a day dedicated to Thanksgiving, which begins with joy, the joy of feeding a new child and being with family and preparing to celebrate, a devastating event occurs seemingly out of the blue, a grand mal seizure, and then a diagnosis of cancer in the brain, no less, and a very short term of life uh, that is the prognosis, and yet God comes in. I was thinking of this as Pastor Hazel was talking today during our uh, uh, ministry time about how God comes in and changes things in our lives. If not for God, what would have happened to Pastor Matt? And so Pastor Matt, 12 years later, is saying, but God, God came in and gave a different diagnosis, spoke a different destiny. In the middle of the dark night of that situation and the months that extended out over it, the light of the Lord was with them. And so now he says, you might be in the middle of the night. You might be in the dark place, in the cold of winter, but the light and the love and the warmth of the Lord reaches out to you too. That's really the focus of what we're going to talk about today, but we're going to talk about it in the context of not a story from 12 years ago, but from 2,000 years ago, and yet it's the same old world, and the people are the same kind of people. We're going to look at the story of Joseph and Mary, and how Jesus was born. And it's such a happy story for most of us that we might forget how challenging it must have been for the people that were in it. And even now, we understand that when I read something simple like that, those words that he wrote, there's no way that it can possibly encapsulate everything that he went through. But I think most of us, when we hear a story like that, we can relate it to the times we've gone through like that. And we may not have ever had such a profoundly disastrous diagnosis or maybe not ever experienced such a profound miracle, so we think. But the truth of the matter is all of us have had times of trial 
And God has helped all of us, whether we know it or not. It may be that you're the person that's in the middle of the trial right now. And so what, what Pastor Matt is saying, I also say, which is it might be for you difficult to feel hope. It might be very difficult to see the light. We're going to learn something else in Joseph's story, which is even when you see what's happening, it might be very difficult to understand why and how it could possibly be good or of God. The point that I want to make today is you may not have the understanding in this season, but the purpose of God is at work in our world and is at work in your life. And if you will partner with that purpose, if you will allow him to do what he wants to do in and through you, no matter what the diagnosis is, no matter what the darkness around you is, the light of the Lord will be with you. And even better than that, it will be in you. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I'd like to read them to you, and you can follow along in your Bible. I hope you have your Bible with you or at home, or you can use the Bible on your phone. I like to use the Bible app. If you're not on version, I recommend it. There are other apps you can use, too. If you are on version, you can send me a friend request, and we can, uh, we can communicate on it. It's a great way to have the Word with you at all times. But whether you've got it electronically or, or a good old-fashioned book in your hand, have your Bible with you when we study it so that you can study along with me. But for the benefit of all, we have it projected here, and uh, you can see it at home as well. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. So Matthew is telling us this is what transpired. When Jesus' mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. So what we're going to hear is occurring during their betrothal. Now, you and I need to understand something about a betrothal in first century Palestine and Israel of that era that is different from the United States of America and people being engaged today in the 21st century. At that time, this betrothal, this engagement, was legally binding. It was really the first stage of marriage. It was an unconsummated marriage. So they had not been formally wedded and they had not consummated that wedding but they were legally bound. And so obviously they were not to be in, involved or engaged romantically or sexually with anyone else. Uh, that that uh, is quite obvious, I'm sure. And the understanding also was that this was not a time of preparing to, to answer the question, should we be married? That's already been answered. It's a time of preparing to be married. And so it's a kind of preliminary marriage stage in that era. So, they are legally bound in this union. Now, we don't know a lot of facts about them. We don't know their age. But given the fact that Mary is uh, described as a virgin, she is, and, and we know that there's no previous marriage, she's probably a young girl. She may even still be a teenager, which was not unusual in that era. Joseph is probably a little older than her, but we really don't know about their ages. What we do know is that both of them are described as being very devout people. In other words, they are followers of God. Jewish people who know the scriptures and who are faithful to the Lord and desire to live their life in integrity. They're not perfect. They're people just like you and me. But they are people of faith, dedicated to the Lord. And in the Lord, dedicated to each other. And then 
something happens. Now, in Luke's gospel, we hear more about what happens from the perspective of Mary. But here in Matthew's gospel, we're simply told that Joseph becomes aware, the world becomes aware, that Mary is pregnant. And what can someone think about that? Here's a young woman who is legally bound to be married to this man, and he knows that he didn't sleep with her, and she is pregnant. He also knows that there's going to be people who are going to be very dubious about the fact that he didn't sleep with her. And that carries a social stigma and shame in his era. As in fact, I think it should. I don't mean to say that we ought to be eager to stigmatize people, but it is not wrong to believe that people who engage in marital relations outside of the covenant of marriage are doing something wrong because that is God's perspective. And that's the reason why in that society they held to that point of view. However, Joseph also knows that there are real legal repercussions for him. And also, in terms of his business, there's repercussions, especially in a small village, which is what Nazareth was. So everybody would have known. And there probably would have been few options about who she had been with, which means that there would come a question mark over the, 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 the name and the reputation of virtually every man in the village, potentially. Because who is it that got her pregnant? You know, we think of it as the Christmas story. And so we've sort of sanitized it from the real scandal of the situation. And for Mary, the prospects were extremely dire. Because rightly or wrongly, she was the one who was not going to be able to deny her condition. It was going to become visibly obvious. And she could be prosecuted for infidelity, which could carry very serious consequences for her, perhaps even capital consequences. Joseph does not want harm to come to Mary. Now, Matthew, in writing this text, makes it clear to us that we shouldn't have any doubt that Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That is to say, the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and she conceived in her womb. Joseph was a righteous man, we are told. So he wasn't going to simply overlook this. But he didn't want to see her harmed. He didn't want to see her persecuted. And so, in an attempt not to disgrace her, but to respond reasonably and rightly to a situation which must have broken his heart and devastated his expectations and must have been so difficult for her. Can you imagine having to talk to him and say, well, an angel came to me, and then the angel said this to me, and then this happened. Imagine his response. The emotion that must have been loaded into that interaction for her and her family, for him and his family. We don't know how long it was between the angel appearing to Mary and Joseph having the experience that is described here. But whatever that duration of time was, it must have been, if you'll pardon the expression, hell for them. Must have been really hard. Poor Mary in a situation where you can hardly imagine anybody is going to be able to believe her. And poor Joseph, so completely astonished that this is not at all what I expected from this young woman. This is not at all who I thought my fiance was. But still, 
I want to be gracious to her. I want to protect her. What a heart of a husband. And so he planned to send her away, or it could be translated, he planned to divorce her. In other words, for him to to extricate himself from the engagement, from this betrothal, would be effectively a divorce. And the grounds for that divorce legally would be infidelity. It would be adultery. But because he does not want her to be disgraced, he wants to do it quietly and not in the public eye. He goes to sleep. One can only presume it's on the night before he's going to be taking action. And in the dark of the night, and what a dark night that must have been for him, he has a dream. The name Joseph doesn't exist in a vacuum. He was named after, or for perhaps, an incredibly significant figure out of the Hebrew Bible in the book of Genesis, one of the 12 sons of Israel, also known as Jacob, a beloved son named Joseph. And Joseph was someone who had a destiny from God that he was aware of from an early age. He had a sense that God was active in him. And though it was misconstrued by his brothers and his family as arrogance and pride, the reality is that Joseph really did hear from the Lord. And frequently the way that that Joseph in the book of Genesis heard from the Lord was in dreams. I wonder if there is a reason why when the angel appeared to Mary, it's not described as a dream, but an actual angelophany is what it's called, and the appearance of an angel. But for Joseph, it comes in a dream. And actually later on, Joseph will have a dream as well and receive revelation from God to protect his family by taking Mary and the new uh, child Jesus to Egypt during the time when Herod tries to persecute the family by finding them and tries to uh, eliminate Jesus by killing male children two years and younger. That's another story for another time. But in any case, this Joseph dreams dreams also. And in this dream, an angel appears to him. Somebody might ask, well, is it fair to think that God speaks to us in our dreams? And somebody else might say, oh, be careful, because there's a lot of weird things that can be thought of if you go down that road. Well, I suppose that's true. But you know what? There's a lot of weird things that can be thought of if you go down the road of reading sacred scriptures too. But that doesn't mean that there's not a lot that's right about it. Now, two things should be said about God speaking through dreams. One is, let's think about the miraculous happenings in this story. We have angels appearing to people. We have God speaking through dreams. We have a virgin conceiving. These are all things that God can do. But that doesn't mean that we should expect that it happens all the time. I don't think there will ever be another virgin that conceives a child. I mean... That's in the hands of God, but I don't have any expectation of that. So there are certain things that God does and only does once. There was one virgin who bore a child who is the son of God, and that's Jesus. He died once and for all, for all on the cross. And those things are once and for all. But it should be said that this is not the only place where angels appear to people in the scriptures, and this is not the only place where God speaks to people in dreams. In fact, in the Bible, God often speaks to people through their dreams. So can God speak to you through your dreams? You bet he can. That doesn't mean every dream you have is from him. Nor does it mean that you should occupy yourself primarily with trying to figure out what happens in your dreams and what it means. But rather what it means, I think, the direction that you and I should take is that we should be open to God intersecting our life at any point. 
And so if you have a dream and you wake up and you think it's important, write it down and pray over it. And if the Lord shares something with you, it will be consistent with Scripture. And if you're confused about it, you can go to a pastor. I have people contact me about their dreams, not infrequently. And I'm happy to hear them out and share whatever the Lord puts in my mind of an understanding that he can give or anything that resonates with Scripture. Sometimes I do tell people that might be, as Ebenezer Scrooge said, just a bad bit of potato. (laughs) You know, that was just a little indigestion last night. That may not be anything at all. So... Don't get carried away with hunting for God as you sleep. But don't ignore God at any hour. If God wakes you in the night, in the middle of the night, and you have an impression on something, pay attention to it. If God stops you in the middle of the afternoon and says something to your spirit, or you see a billboard, or you see a scripture text, or you hear something on the radio, or you see something on Instagram, and you feel like, hey, there's there's an opportunity here to pause and look at that, If you're so busy with all your preparations for what you're doing that you can't be bothered with that, you might miss the message of God. So pause and take a moment, considering what your purpose really is, which is to hear from the Lord. So Joseph encounters an angel of the Lord in a dream. And the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Do not be afraid. You know what? This is a bit of interpretation on my part. But when I look at verse 20 that says, he had considered these things. And then I see here at the end of the verse, it says, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. I think Joseph felt like I want to believe her. That when when Mary shared with him what had happened, he was thinking, could it be true? But there was in him a doubt How can it be true? And what if it's wrong? And what if I'm doing the wrong thing? Or what if she's crazier? Maybe I'm crazier. How could this be? And can we blame him for any of those thoughts? What's miraculous is that he's willing to believe and change direction mid-route. He wakes up and changes his plans. The angel says, don't be afraid. And you know what? That's God speaking. In the night, that's the light. You're feeling afraid. You're feeling confused. And God is saying, don't be afraid. And don't be confused. I'm not confused. I know what I'm doing. I will guide you. I'll be the light. What has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, the angel says. She'll bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Because he will save his people. Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua. You remember Joshua from the Joshua generation. That great leader of God's people who himself encountered an angel, the angel of the Lord that I would say is Jesus himself. And he also heard, don't be afraid, be strong and courageous. Joshua means the Lord saves. It includes a reference to the covenant name of God. The I am saves, Yahweh. Jesus means God saves. And that's why he's named Jesus. There is no other name like that name because it's the purpose of God. It's the whole reason that he came. For this very purpose, Jesus said, not to judge the world, but as a judge of God, to save the world, to save the lost because of God's great love for them. 
So there's joy in this moment and there must have been joy in Joseph's heart. And that joy is what gave him the patience and the perseverance to go forward with a plan that must have made him the laughing stock of the village and probably brought him under the scrutiny of people who were dubious now about him and her. Oh, you're going to marry her anyway. Yeah, you didn't sleep with her. Yeah, sure. Or maybe you just can't, you're not man enough to deal with the situation. All right, then. But he's determined not to care what those people think because he's heard from God. Now Matthew tells us by the inspiration of the very same Holy Spirit that enabled the conception of the incarnation to take place, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Some eight centuries before this was written and now it's being fulfilled. The name Emmanuel means God is with us. You say, well, if his name is Jesus or Joshua or Emmanuel, God saves God with us, what is it? It's all of the above. It's the I am who says, I am with you and I am saving you. And I am that one. That's what Jesus will say. Throughout the book of John, you see him saying it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. Jesus says to you today, I am the light in the night. And I'm with you. Joseph got up from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He didn't let another hour pass before he made it clear that Mary, I'm not going to send you away. I'm going to marry you. And I'm going to be with you to raise this child as my own. Because this child is by the Holy Spirit. This child is of God. This child will be Jesus and save his people. He also does not know her in the biblical sense. They do not engage in conjugal relationship until after the birth of the child. It says in this translation, he kept her a virgin or literally he was not knowing her until she gave birth to a son. He made that sacrifice. And I don't mean to make too big of a deal of it, but it's a part of his honor and his righteousness that you see that dedication. And it should not be uh, to, taken to mean that the marriage was never consummated, but rather that it was not until after the birth of Jesus that Mary ceased to be a virgin. He called his name Jesus. He did as the angel instructed him. He followed through even to the naming of his son. I want to look at three points out of this story as we come to the final portion of today's message. And as I do so, I'm going to share some phrases with you that you will hear again throughout this series. So I'm going to speak them today, but as I come back to them in time, I'm going to remind you of them. And hopefully uh, in that process, they will come to have a application for you and I both in our present season of life. First of all, both Mary and Joseph are pledged to a purpose. They're betrothed to each other. They have pledged themselves in their holy honor to one another, but they're also pledged to God. And this is what makes them available to be this couple that God has chosen. Can you imagine these people, what they must be like? I'm eager to meet them in heaven because I can't imagine that there are 
two more honorable people in the history of humanity other than Jesus himself than Joseph and Mary entrusted by God with such an extraordinary mission. And yet you know that if they were standing on the platform here today and they were able to speak to us, don't you know that they would say, we're just people, we're just like you. And the fact of the matter is that they are. It's God who makes the difference, but they are people who were pledged to a purpose. It's important that you and I make our plans according to God's will. If we've learned anything from studying the judges' cycle together, let it be that. Let's make our plans according to God's will. This Advent season, don't let your calendar fill up with things that you haven't even talked to God about. Take the time to pray about what you're going to do each day. And yes, I know you got stuff to do, so do I. But let the Lord be leading it. And maybe in the middle of the night, the Lord is going to say to you, you need to make a change tomorrow. Or maybe it'll be the middle of the day when it comes. And I don't mean to say that you should be sitting there like constantly trying to tune in Radio Tokyo or something. But rather, be available to the Lord and dedicated to desiring what he wants to do. Remember that there's a way that seems right to everybody but it ends in death. That's what Proverbs 14, 12 says. So don't just pursue what seems right to you. In our heart and mind, we make our plans, and that's well and good. We need to, but remember, ultimately, it's the Lord who directs our course. Proverbs 16, 9. And it's good to remember, in all your planning and preparing, your partying and festivities this season, or your dedication not to do that, you say, I'm not going to do all of that stuff. I'm just going to keep it simpler. None of that will really be fruitful unless it's the Lord that's guiding you. The Lord may say, I want you to do something over and above what you were willing to do. The Lord may say, I want you to hold back from doing something. But the point is that you would be allowing the Lord to be the architect of your life in this season. Notice that in Psalm 127, the the, uh, proverbial statement that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain, is ultimately connected a few verses later to the notion of children. Even bearing children into the world can be a burden. In fact, we're going to look at the love that is required when we are in labor later in this season. But the Lord also says, in that labor, there is joy, because out of that labor, there comes life, and that life in the womb is a reward from God. We need to make our plans according to God's will. But what happens when, like Mary and Joseph, we made our plans according to God's will, we're living our life according to God's will, and God allows something to happen that completely voids our plans, that completely confuses our understanding. We can be plunged into darkness even when we are trying to follow the light. And maybe you feel that way right now. I want to serve the Lord. I'm praying, or maybe you're thinking, I don't know about all that jazz, but listen, I'm hearing this message now, but I'm looking for God and I don't see him. Or God's allowed stuff in my life that's just a mess. What am I supposed to do with this? Well, you're not alone. Mary and Joseph know what you're talking about. Just like Pastor Matt Chandler says, we've been there. So this couple also says, we've been there. The bride was pregnant. And she wasn't yet married. The betrothal was broken, it seemed. But Joseph was still dedicated to the purpose of protecting his fiancée. And yet, Joseph must have despaired. 
brokenhearted. But the Lord intervened to say something greater is going on. Is it possible that something greater is going on in your life right now? I will tell you this with a certainty. Something greater is going on at PCF than many of us have yet perceived. Something greater is available in Los Angeles, the city of angels, than many of the people in this city have any notion of. This city is plunged into the darkness of night. You be the light. You say, how can I do that? What can I do? Nothing in and of yourself, because in yourself you can do nothing. But if you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, then the hope of glory is shining through you. Even when you're plunged into darkness, you are still lit by the purposes of the Lord. And prophecy, prophecy is part of how God's promises become palpable in the darkness of our world. In many traditional churches, there are candles lit each Sunday of Advent. There's four candles for the four Sundays of Advent, and then there's the Christ candle that is usually lit on Christmas Eve. And the first candle that would be lit today is sometimes referred to as the prophecy candle. It's because there are so many times when in the word of God, God says these things are going to happen. Do you remember that when God made his covenant with Abraham and actually said to Abraham that of your seed, the whole world will be blessed. In other words, it's a messianic prophecy. He also said, your children are going to go into slavery in Egypt for 400 years. It was in a dream or a vision that Abraham heard that from the Lord. And we are told that it was dark. And Abraham must have felt like, why? What is that about? Part of it is because God allows people to make their own choices. But the better part of it is because God determines that he wants to break the chains of slavery. And he wants to defeat the idols of Egypt. And he wants to craft for himself a people who are miraculously his. God allows for seasons of surprise. God allows long nights of the soul in which we have to reckon with the wrecked expectations of our purposes, our plans that fail. You say, I don't know why God does that and I don't know why God allows it. Because he has a purpose. That doesn't mean that God is out there kicking puppies and, you know, sawing chair legs off. God is not the cosmic prankster of the world. Who You know these people who give their kids fake gifts? I don't understand this, this thing, but you've seen these videos, right? Oh, I got an Xbox or I got an iPhone. And then it's empty or they put, you know, I don't know, something really unpleasant in there. And then the kid is just crestfallen while the parents are going, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen these. But it just seems like, I don't know, mean to me. God is not like that. God doesn't give you a snake when you ask for an egg. He doesn't give you a stone when you ask for bread. God gives you what you need. And sometimes what you and I need is to learn the consequences of our choices. But sometimes what we need to learn is the power of his promises, his prophecies. Even Joseph of old went into slavery in Egypt, into prison in Egypt. But ultimately he was elevated to be a ruler over that world. So this Joseph who thought that his life was over, is only remembered today because he was willing to believe what God had said. Our plans may change. Our purposes may fail. God's never do. So why not wed our purposes to his? Why not let his purpose be ours? 
No human wisdom, no understanding or plan can prevail against the Lord. Proverbs 21.30. Isaiah 46.10, God himself speaks and says, I make known the end from the beginning. See, God does not want us to be completely caught off guard. But often, the preparations that he has spoken to us, we didn't understand. Or maybe we weren't willing to believe. But God is still going to do what he is going to do. And he says, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. James 1.17 puts it this way. Every good thing that is given and every perfect gift is from above. It comes from God. It comes down from the Father of lights. Shining bright in the night. And there's no shadow of shifting and turning in him. You can count on him even in the darkness because he has a purpose and his purpose is to fulfill his promise. But the promise has a point. In our series on Easter this year, I titled that series, The Point of Sacrifice. The promise that God is bringing into the world that he will be with us and he will save us is a promise of sacrifice. Jesus came to live and to die for us. He came to be pierced by a promise. So if you're going to be part of that Jesus promise, you're going to be pierced too. That doesn't mean that you have to die on the cross. He already died for you. It means that you need to be willing to carry your cross in order to live for him You've got to let his promise pierce you. You know, there was in the ancient world a tradition that is described in the Bible, and it might seem offensive to us, but even though it describes an institution which we totally refute now, the institution of slavery, it was an indicator of how people were known as belonging to a master. They would pierce the ear with an awl against the doorpost, and it was like a brand, a way of saying this person is spoken for. God wants you to be his, but there's no going back. There's no turning away. God isn't going to put you away. He's going to draw you to himself. But he wants to pierce you as his own. He wants you to be penetrated by the promise of who he is and all that his life brings, which is salvation. Next week, we'll look more at a passage that occurs in Luke 2 when Joseph and Mary take the newborn Jesus to be dedicated. He's eight days old and they are at the temple and they meet there a man who also had heard from the Lord. You remember this man, Simeon, an elderly man who had been told by the Lord, somehow by the Spirit, that he would see the Messiah before he died. His days were growing short. He must have been thinking, is this really going to happen? And maybe you can relate to that too. You feel like God spoke something to me. He said it would happen, but it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. Well, more of that next week because there's a lot of that in this story. But when Simeon sees the child, he recognizes the spirit in him. And he knows that this is the Savior Messiah. And he, he gives praise to God for Jesus. But he says to Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. In other words, this child is going to make a change in the world and many are going to oppose him, but he's a sign from God and a sword will pierce even your own soul. 
if you and I are going to open to the miracle of Christmas, we need to open to the reality of the piercing that comes with God's promise. What does that mean for you? It means that there's a sacrifice that God calls for. And it's not a sacrifice that will save you because that sacrifice has already been made by Christ. Rather, it's a way in which you can receive what God wants you to believe in this season. Why does that come with sacrifice? Those are the purposes of God. But I think it's because it's too important not to. And because, like the, God, the word of God itself, it's so sharp that it penetrates us. Jesus himself came knowing what had already been spoken about him in the scriptures. He was pierced for our transgressions. It's by his scourging that we are healed. In Zechariah, we are told that God says, I will pour out the spirit of grace and supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him. Isn't this interesting that God says both me and him? It seems to be a recognition of the Trinity. One God, and yet this God is speaking about the Messiah Jesus, the incarnate Christ who is pierced for our iniquities. And we will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. In Revelation 1.7, we are told, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him. And it makes a quotation effectively of that passage. Even those who pierced Him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Prophecy, promised, purpose of God, and it will happen. Daniel 7 talks about that vision too of one coming on the clouds. And it is the presence of God, Emmanuel, that is coming on the clouds. If you read Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, you hear very much the same thing that is being spoken of in Zechariah, in Daniel. The establishment of a kingdom on the shoulders of this one who will be pierced. And finally, I would encourage you to read Psalm 73 this week and find in it many references to the very things that we are talking about here, but from the perspective of the human being. In Psalm 73, the psalmist is saying, God is good, but... I've been despairing because I look around and people who do wrong seem to be the ones that are profiting. And I am trusting in God and I seem to be suffering. And I don't understand that. And I thought, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. I've been stricken all day. I've been chastised every morning. But when I pondered this, and I think of Joseph after he pondered these things, after he thought about these things, then it was troublesome in my sight. Literally, it was labor. But through the labor, I came into the sanctuary of God. I came into the presence of God. And then I perceived that all this stuff that looks good for the people of the world is not so good after all. And like a dream when one awakes, the Lord will end the night, shine the light, and show the truth. And those that have trusted in the Lord will have a reward. And so the psalmist says, I was ignorant before, now I trust in you. I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. It's Emmanuel. God is with me. With your counsel, you will guide me. God is with me and you will save me. You will receive me to your glory. Whom else do I have in heaven but you? God is the goodness that saves us and the nearness that guides us. I have made the Lord God my refuge, he says, that I may tell of your works. In conclusion then, 
How do we apply this to our lives? Even when we try to plan according to God's purposes, his plans and ways often prove very different from ours. Just look at what Isaiah 55 says. But in the process of following God, he's not going to leave you. You may feel like you're lost in the night at times. Don't despair. His light will penetrate that darkness. His purpose will permeate our lives. If we let him into our dreams, if we give him full rule over our plans and our preparations, no matter what the cost is, no matter what the point of sacrifice is that he asks for from us, it may be that he's saying, you were planning to do one thing, but I want you to do another. It may be that a relationship that we thought went wrong, God says, I want to make it right. It may be many number of things that cause you to face persecution or to be subjected to an experience that you find fearsome. But the Lord says, don't be afraid. Look to the light. This week, I'm calling you, PCF, to look to the light in your preparations of Advent. Look to the light every day. Find the word of God in your life. Hear him. Listen to him. Seek his spirit. Pray and then submit every plan to God. Be willing to face loss. Be willing to give away. Be willing to to be subject to criticism from others. Be willing to walk in the way in which there's uncertainty for you. And you think, I don't know which way to go exactly. God will guide you. You can sacrifice your will for his. It is the grace of God that enables you to experience the joy of the Lord. Who looking at the cross said, if there's a way for this cup to pass from me, let it pass, but not my will, but your will be done. The adventure lesson this week is, sacrifice your purposes and plans for God's and let God's light guide you through the night. Lord, we thank you that you are our constant Savior, ever-present. There are those among us, Lord, those who are hearing my words, who may feel lonely, isolated right now, hurt or wounded. There are others, Lord, that are engulfed in the joy of the season, but maybe feeling pressured, stressed, already feeling like there's hardly enough time left to do the things I need to do. Whatever the uh, spectrum of emotions and needs, Lord, right now, what we ask is that we would lay all of that at your feet, feet that were pierced for us. We would lay it all into your hands hands that were pierced for us, that we would put ourselves into your plan, that you would wrap us up in your prophecy and promises, Lord, that we would live according to the guidance of your spirit and the truth of your word. And for anyone, Lord, who has not made a decision to give themselves to you fully with you as their savior, I pray that right now, they would make that prayer. Friend, just pray this with me. Maybe you've prayed it many times before, but pray it for the sake of those that could be praying it for the first time today. Repeat these words after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you came to earth. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I believe you saved me. Forgive me of my sins. Lead me in your way. I belong to you. Amen. The Lord has a purpose for you, friends. Walk in that purpose. And may the joy of the Lord and his light be with you this week and always. Amen.